Our first scripture reading this morning is from Psalm 116, beginning on page 533 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of Sheol lay hold on me, I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, save my life. What shall I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful ones. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the child of your serving girl. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer you, I will offer to you a, a thanksgiving sacrifice and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. From the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning with verse 13. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, moreover some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning. And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that he had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, O foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he was going on, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. It's almost evening and the day is now over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the gospel of the Lord. Pray with me. Gracious Lord, how foolish we can be and how slow our hearts are to believe all that has been declared. We thank you for your patience with us. And by your spirit, may your word be opened so we may hear the words of eternal life. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I wish this morning to step back a little bit from the Gospel of Luke 24, the story of the road to Emmaus. It's a fabulous story, and it is one of many, many people's favorites, including mine. But I want instead to wander just a few moments through the words that we heard from Psalm 116. So just a few moments with me in the psalm. Psalm 116 lies in the middle of a collection of psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and they're known as the Hillel Psalms, the Psalms of praise. Hillel is a Hebrew word, praise. So 116 is part of this set of Psalms of praise. Just before Easter on Monday, Thursday, uh, the scene of the disciples sharing the Last Supper just before they go to the, the next scene at the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. Scripture tells us in both Matthew and Mark that they sang a psalm and then departed to the Mount of Olives. Most likely, the psalm that they sang was one of these Hillel psalms. It's quite possible that they sang all of them because the Seder, the Passover meal, contains these praise psalms. Psalm 116 was probably on the lips of the disciples before they went to the garden to pray with Jesus. It's powerful tension then if we compare what they were singing at the end of the Passover meal to what happened just 24 hours later. Jesus with his disciples was singing together, I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save my life. And one day later from the cross, he is asking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Of course, in the context of the psalm, the psalmist cries out to God in anguish. The stairs of death encompass me. The pangs of Sheol lay hold of me. I suffer in distress and in anguish. But in the psalm, that's a tragic flashback. The psalmist actually starts with, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. Now let me give you an example of when God heard my voice. I was in anguish. And I love the Lord because the Lord heard me. I love the Lord because he inclined my ear 
to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The rest of the psalm then stands as a pledge of loyalty and love and respect and allegiance and sacrifice and praise because of the core motivation for this heaping help of Hillel is because God listened. God listened. I desire for us to reflect a few moments this morning on God's listening capacity and hopefully by association our listening capacity. So much of what we do in theological reflection drives us to have conceptualizations about God, the size of God, the place of God, the tolerant grace of God, the holiness of God, the gender of God, the expressions of these wonderful pursuits of intellectual exercise, by which I mean we are wonder-filled. It is a theme of many of our hymns trying to describe and articulate the vastness, the wonder of the Almighty. Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder in awesome wonder. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great... Well, yeah, okay, we love the song. But that's not what completely gobsmacked the psalmist. It wasn't the wonder of God and creation or the intellectual understanding of the intricacies of the Trinity. It was this same God listens. Listens. Forgetting that, we become, I would suggest, spiritual bodybuilders. We flex our theological muscles to impress the crowds, tightening our mental biceps to show just how our understanding is of the divine nature Our six-pack abs of incarnational interpretation, or in my case, the full keg of incarnational interpretation, the tight glutes of phenomenological comprehension. It's all very impressive, but why? (laughs) To what end? Think about the people who mean the most to you, those who have really touched you. Those are the ones who loved you into being. Do you think of them affectionately because they're so smart? Do you think of them because they can interpret all kinds of mysteries while you sit and listen? Are they important to you because they can express God's capacity for creatio ex nihilo? Probably not. I would suggest they're important to you not because their heads are full of great knowledge. They are precious to your heart because most likely they have had the capacity to show you value, importance, significance. I would suggest that they are, they are precious to you because they listen 
to you. They're the ones who take your calls. That's all we're really asking here, isn't it? Certainly one example in our household over the last several months has been talking a great deal about doctors, about good doctors and not-so-good doctors, mediocre doctors and really, really great doctors. Now, certainly our society has a baseline for competence of the people who we call doctor regarding their certification, physicians. We presume that the right to put on the white coat and use the title in order to get better tables in restaurants has been vetted because at some level somewhere somebody said, okay, you're now a doctor. Their diploma's on the wall, there's deference from the support staff, and all that stuff tells us that we are in the presence of certified healers. I have no idea the class rank of any of Danny's physicians. I have no clue. They could have graduated from the rock bottom of some third-rate medical school, but I need to tell you, they're great doctors. Why? Because they return her calls. And all of a sudden, whatever else happens to be going on in their qualifications, in their capacities, are completely dwarfed by their willingness to listen. Now, I realize that might be an extremely unprofessional evaluation of a doctor's competence, but it really is what we've got. And our level of trust in their understanding is not driven by what they allegedly know. It's driven by their capacity to listen. I love the Lord, wrote the psalmist. Why does the psalmist love the Lord? Well, he answers that question in that very first verse. I love the Lord because the Lord has heard my voice, my supplications. My God returns my calls. Not only does the psalmist's Lord return the calls, but that same God really leans in. He bothers to listen. He inclines a divine ear to hear the deep concerns of the psalmist's suffering. I love Yahweh, writes the psalmist, because this is the God who really leans in to listen carefully to me. I remarked this past Holy Week at our Monday Thursday observance that I have become weary of theological reflection that does not, at its core, increase our capacity to love one another. Far too much of our energy is spent telling others what we know and what we understand and what we figured out. As a preacher, every single week, I tell you stuff that I've figured out over the past week or month or years, and traditional decorum requires that you sit there and take it. It's sobering for me to realize that God never commands us to understand. Never. God commands us to love. Understanding has its place, don't, don't get me wrong, 
I, I spent a lot of money on degrees and stuff to be able to have some understanding. But my dumping information on you week after week after week, and you're just having to sit there and receive it, does absolutely nothing to build the bond of affection and love between us or among us. In the congregational community, I suggest we are failing the fundamental command of Jesus, not that we understand, but that we love. And love begins with listening. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, which means your neighbor wants to be listened to every bit as much as you do. And that loving relationship is a listening relationship. Loving neighbor begins with the capacity to lean in hard, to incline your ear to hear the voice of neighbor. To transfer the characteristics of our listening that is received by a loving God and then hand that same kind of ear to the world around us, to our neighbors, to their condition. We know how much it means to us to have someone listen to us. So it is an active demonstration that we can offer when we listen to others. More than one occasion in counseling, I've had couples tell me that they keep having the same argument over and over and over again. And you can almost tell the moment in the counseling session as they're talking back and forth to one another when one of them says, well, here we go again. Why do you keep having the same argument? Why do you get to that spot and it's the same thing over and over again? Why? It's because you haven't been heard. The only reason people repeat themselves is when they believe the listeners have not heard what they have said. Now, in the dynamics of a relationship, it's easy to get into a rut. You say this, they say that, back and forth. It becomes the same old script. So if they haven't heard you say it this way, why do you keep trying to say it the same way over and over again? Maybe you need to say the same thing in a new way. Or if you're stuck in that, maybe you need to finally listen to what is being said. Oh, what a wonder it is to be in a relationship where you have new arguments all the time. Jesus begins here in the story of the road to Emmaus by listening. He comes up. He listens to their conversation. What are you guys talking about? Cleopas says the next seven verses of what they've been talking about. Jesus actively listens. In fact, Luke only gives us two verses of what Jesus says, seven verses of what Cleopas is saying, and it says that he opens Scripture to them and tells them all that Moses and the prophets had said. And if you're like me, it's like, what did he say? What, what was that sermon? Why, why is there no, no additional words as to Jesus interpreting this Scripture? It didn't matter. Luke leaves it out because the details were unimportant. The important part was that he had listened to them and so they were able to hear him. When Jesus talks, it is always out of Jesus' 
first listening. When they get to their house, they urge Jesus to stay. They want to keep the listening going. That's hospitality. Come on in. Because we want to continue the converse. We want to keep listening to one another. That is loving your neighbor as yourself. You need a place to spend the night? We got a place. How about our place? Then, of course, we know the part about the breaking of the bread. It's almost overused as a Eucharistic metaphor. Every time the congregation gathers, we see Jesus as the bread is broken and shared. But we spend a lot less time of all of the listening that was required for that mystical, magnificent moment to unfold. And they rush back the seven miles to Jerusalem and tell about the love that they had shared in sharing with their risen Savior. It all started with listening. With the cup of salvation, the vows to the Lord, the intergenerational service to God, the sacrifices of thanksgiving, it all began with an inclined ear. I love the Lord because the Lord has heard my voice. Love your neighbor. Incline your ears. Amen? And then we have this really weird moment where I ask you to stand and speak a creed that is all about head knowledge and not about listening, but you know, we're the church, what are you going to do? Hopefully something in it drives you to love neighbor. Please stand. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body.